Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and in this episode, we'll be talking about lights. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by NA Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use, and I always tell mine, I use NA Tactical. Do you know NA Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all-day carry? The Revenant and Professional holsters have a patented, tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the K01. It's an all-Kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of N8's Tacticals holsters come with a two-week try-it guarantee and a lifetime warranty, even on the clip. Remember to check out their FlexMag carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of magazines. Find out more. Or just send your students to n8tactical.com. That's letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. Today, we're joined by Riley Bowman, host of ConcealedCarry.com podcast, former law enforcement officer and current competitive shooter. And we're going to talk about lights for self-defense. Welcome, Riley. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on the show again, Rob. Uh, I'm excited to talk about lights. Absolutely. it's it. This is a... A passionate topic of mine. I, I am not the foremost expert on it, but I think we can have a reasonably uh, educated uh, conversation about about the idea or the topic. Yeah, because uh, lights covers such a wide gamut when you're talking about self defense. Because we got handheld lights, we got weapon mounted lights. Um, you know, we got backup lights. We've got all different kinds of things that we have to take into consideration. And one of the things I know from most civilian trainers that I know, um, they really don't do much work with lights, don't really understand the pros and cons behind them. And I think one of the things that most instructors really need to make sure they have a good understanding of is about lights, because mm-hmm. the first thing I, I think about it is bigger, b- uh, better all the time. And, you know, if, if 100 lumens is good, then 300 lumens got to be better and 1000 lumens got to be the best, right? Is that <laughs> always the case? Uh, okay, so here's the thing. More light is pretty much always better, but there, the, the, the trick is, or, or where people get kind of mixed up or fooled, if you will, is that they get people, there's different companies will advertise their lights as being, you know, 2000 lumens and people go, Ooh, that must mean it's really awesome. But there are lights that have really impressive sounding lumen numbers or lumen ratings but they are not so good on the candela side of the equation. And candela is really a, a measure of how effective that light is at getting that light down, you know, down range, if you will. And so bigger is better, but not all light lights are created equal. And lumens is far from the most important number. And in fact, it's far, I would say that there are lights out there that are only 500 lumens, but have candela ratings of like 60,000, which is just insane. And you'll get better performance out of a light like that out at 15 yards, 25 yards, 50 yards than you would with a light that's 1,200 lumens, but 5,000 candela, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. 
So it, it there's there's a lot more that goes into it than what probably you know your average uh, uh, you know person thinks uh, goes into it as far as uh, the numbers and 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 what really matters. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and one of the things I think that people need to realize too, the with the higher number you get sometimes, especially in a self defense standpoint, you're not going to be shooting somebody you know defending yourself from somebody at 50 yards. Um, if you're inside your house, uh, different things like that, and you've got a really, really bright light, even your white walls or a you know bathroom mirror can get you a really bad um, you know reflection on you, which then kills your night vision also too. You know what you're trying to do blind blind the perpetrator, but you could end up going along blinding yourself at the same time with too many lumens. So it's a, it's a balancing act, as you said, of a lot of different factors depending upon the use and you know what what you what you really need out of it. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing though, right? Like that's, this is a common thing that's thrown around that, well, I'm not going to be shooting a guy at, at, you know, X number of feet or yards or whatever. And, and it's, but here's the thing, the light is a defensive tool in its own right. And, and, and what it is, is it's, it's what allows us to begin discovering a threat well before we might need to use some kind of force as whether it's less lethal or if it's lethal force to defend ourselves against that threat. So I would absolutely. So imagine this, I'm out for a stroll on this on, you know, my, in my neighborhood uh, down the sidewalk and it's dark outside. You know, these days it gets dark here in Colorado at like four forty-five PM. It's, it's terrible. Um, you're going out for a stroll. I mean, you just get home from work. You work till five, you get home. It's dark. You want to take the dog out, go for a, for a walk. And you see somebody on the sidewalk, hundred yards, 75 yards away, 50 yards away. They're coming closer and something seems off, but you can't really tell yet what it is because you can't see them very well. Okay. So, you know, see where I'm going with this? Like mm-hmm. my, the purpose of my light is to throw light way out there well in advance of a potential encounter so I can start seeing, okay, who is that? What's going on? And I don't have to shine it right in somebody's face. Like I don't want to like accidentally blind my neighbor and get them, you know, confused for some, you know, dubious character on the street, but I can shine it towards their feet and get an idea. Like, you know, is this, what's going on here? What's the situation? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the important thing is me recognizing more further in advance of what a situation is because then that gives me the gives me more options because i might go that does that's not somebody i recognize that's not somebody from my neighborhood that's not somebody that probably should be in this area at this time of night so you know what i'm going to turn around i'm going to go the other way i'm going to cross the street i'm going to do this i'm going to do that see and that's where that's the fallacy that sometimes people uh get that's where we sometimes get wrong with mm-hmm. the idea of it's good to have a quality light because it's a defensive tool well in advance of our other defensive tools. Definitely. And I think one of the things you need to worry about when you're out in, you know, uh, Colorado and places like that, that I probably don't have to worry about so much in Ohio here is you got some big cr- uh, critters out there too. And you may want to eliminate true. a large area to see, okay, is, is that, you know, just a dog or somebody or, or is it, you know, something bigger that I need to, again, you know, reverse my course of direction or, or do something to, um, scare that, scare that, you know, critter off. Yeah. 
No, you're exactly right about that. I mean, we, we, we've had a huge surge in the uh, coyote population, actually. Uh, it, I, we've, I've seen them right in my own neighborhood here. We used to never see them here. Um, I hear stories of my neighbors, dogs and cats, you know, the smaller dogs and stuff, uh, getting attacked and killed and taken away uh, by the coyotes and, and maybe some other critters too. Uh, there's been stories of uh, mountain lions and bobcats and things in the area as well. So absolutely, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. <clears throat> Well, you touched on a topic there that I think people need to uh, realize uh, right off the bat when it comes to your lights. And that is what you're talking about there, shining a light at somebody's uh, feet, different things along those lines to identify. You're using a handheld. We're not using a weapon-mounted light. Where would you see a weapon-mounted light being uh, effective at? Because obviously, like you said, you don't want to shine your neighbor's face, but then at the same time, you don't want to be sitting there as they walk up to you with your gun pointing down at their feet, because again, that would not be a very considered move to be. So when would you think a, a weapon-mounted light might be you know, the proper kind of use? Yeah, it, well, it, it is only going to be used when I have a reasonable belief that I need to use the gun, right? So, and that's why anytime we have a weapon-mounted light, we absolutely must have a secondary light, a handheld light that is used for searching and for identification purposes. And we got to get that positive identification of what it is or who it is we're dealing with first in most cases before we transition to, say, something that's mounted on a, on a gun. Uh, so the weapon-mounted light is only going to come out when it's about time or it is time to actually use the gun. Um, and, and, it, and it's a valuable tool as well. It's absolutely a, a great tool to have uh, in the case of a home defense uh, gun. Uh, I still advocate that, you know, the use of searching, you know, if, if I, for whatever reason, need to do something inside my home uh, where I might have my gun at the ready, uh, but I, you know, primarily I'm still relying on some kind of handheld illuminating device, uh, but then ready to transition over to to the gun, to the gun mounted light and use it when I need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one thing we need to realize when we're in an occupied dwelling, unless we're living there by ourselves, you know, how many other people could be walking around at the same time? You know, whether that's yep. our spouse, whether that's our children, um, a parent, um, or, you know, even if it's our dog or cat that happens to, you know, get up in the middle of the night when they don't normally and knock something over or, you know, make some noise, different things along those lines. And the last thing we want to do is go along the, you know, pointing, you know, a weapon, you know, towards mm -hmm. something that we're not, you know, will, willing, willing to uh, destroy as the uh, laws uh, say. For it and That's having right. a and handheld allows us to direct it in many different directions uh, at the same time uh, without having to point a muzzle at something mm -hmm. at, at it. I, I'm absolutely a big believer in um, having mm, the more steps we have between putting the gun into use. Uh, it is it in in some contexts is a good thing. So. Uh, there have been there have been numerous instances where homeowners have shot loved ones and people they don't want to shoot uh, that that you know they may not have been shot had that homeowner not been walking around at in the middle of the night with their gun already in their hand or already extended or searching with it for instance 
many more people had probably been shot or, or injured or whatever because of not having any sort of light identification. Uh, and, and that's, that's a, that's the first big problem we got to make sure we overcome is we should never be, well, let me back up even a little bit more still. We should always be very cautious and careful and even, uh, uh, what's the word, reluctant to go searching and clearing rooms and such in our house uh, in, in many contexts. Uh, you know, if you have reason to believe that there's somebody in your house that shouldn't be in your, in your house, um, in many cases, it's better to have a, a place of defense. That where you have the advantage and you can let them come to you, you've got good cover or, or concealment or whatever it is, and you can allow that potential threat to come to you uh, and you can deal with them if and when that occurs uh, versus hearing a bump in the night and deciding to go out into the home and search you know, from room to room, doorway to doorway, hallway to hallway, and and be actively looking for a threat that you think may be there. Um, again, there's there's context where that might be required as well. Uh, we have to take into account other people in the home. Uh, you know, if we have separated bedrooms, we've got maybe our children are in a different part of the house from where our master suite or master bedroom is. You know, those kind of things need to be, we need to have those kind of considerations and, and that all, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different, but we really want to be reluctant about going through and searching our homes with our gun in hand uh, or, or, or not, you know, where we might be running into a threat where, as opposed to allowing that threat to come to us. And the second thing is we absolutely got to have some kind of light, uh, a light source where we can identify who it is that we're dealing with uh, because we do not shoot who who we cannot see. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many loved ones that are shot and killed every year in this country that would not have been shot and killed otherwise or shot and injured otherwise had the person with the gun simply identified beforehand that which they shot. Uh, so we got to solve that. And then once we, hey, all right, we got a light, okay? A light on the gun itself is not adequate for searching our homes. Um, it, it, so, so that's where the handheld is still a very valuable tool to have. Um, anyway, so let's, let's talk, if you don't mind, Rob, I, I, I wanted to touch on something that you also brought up a moment ago and talking about going, you know, maybe in certain parts of our house, we might have places or features of the house or certain rooms or whatever, where, uh, we we might want to be cautious about how and where we shine our lights because mm-hmm. um, you talked about well you know what if I hit a, a mirror and it shines back and hits me in my face and now I've blinded myself you know instead of trying to blind uh, momentarily my, blindness yeah and everything um, by the way I'm less concerned about um, losing night vision although my 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 ability for my eyes to see things in low light. Is a is a good thing, and it's good to have. And provided we can maintain it, that certainly certainly can't hurt us. But if my priority is see something in the dark, shine light on it, identify before I then decide whether to shoot or not, then you know, even if I have been momentarily blinded by the the brightness or the whiteness of a light as I hit a white wall or a mirror or something with it and reflected back at me. Well, once I get that bright light illuminating my potential threat or target, 
uh, I'll still be able to see well enough. Okay. Uh, because my, my eyes may have been temporarily adjusted or forced to adjust to a brighter atmosphere. Um, but once we restore that light to our, to our environment, uh, it, it's, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. All right. The second thing is we should know in advance what features or objects in the house we want to be cautious about. I should know where mirrors are mounted in my house. I should know about other potential reflective surfaces. Uh, you know, some people are using uh, these these refrigerators and other appliances that might have uh, shiny or reflective surfaces to them and as well. Steel surface to them, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, or glass on them. Uh, windows, of course, they're gonna they're gonna act much like a mirror as well. So we should already know where those items and objects and features in the home are, and thus we should be already incorporating that or giving that some thought into how we might navigate our homes and using the light, because then we should be able to avoid those things so that we avoid uh, situations where we end up reflecting light back on ourselves. Uh, sometimes it's, it's said, well, what if I hit this white wall? Uh, guess what? We, again, we should be aware of which walls are really reflective in nature. And we can also use that in, in, in certain cases to our advantage. For instance, a lot of uh, ceilings in homes are painted white. Even if we have walls that maybe are a darker color or whatever, you know, it's pretty common for the ceiling to be a lighter color. Mm-hmm. It makes our rooms feel bigger and more airy and, and, and so forth. Um, we can bounce light off the ceiling. So, for instance, uh, you know, I, I've had conversations with people that, well, a thousand lumen light, that's way too much inside my house. I'm going to blind myself when I hit the walls with it or whatever. Um, again, I should know where my walls are and I should be able to use, utilize my light in a way that's uh, advantageous for me and disadvantageous for my, my, for my potential enemy. And I can, yeah, I'm going to do it right now as you and I are looking at each other. I can bounce this light off my ceiling and illuminate background this, light. I can illuminate this entire room. And so, you know, even if I'm in close proximity to a wall, I don't have to go in there shining right at the wall and then bouncing all this light off me. I can go in there shining it at the ceiling. I can even shine it at the floor at other surfaces that don't directly um, bounce that light at me or at my eyes. And so there's, there's many techniques we can use to utilize lights in low light environments effectively and still use a quality light. I can I can use a very very bright light with, you know, I can use a thousand lumen light with thirty or forty thousand candela, uh, just as effectively as I, uh, in fact, more effectively than I probably can with a lower output light. I, I wouldn't get sucked into the, the uh, the argument or the thought that there's there's a, such a thing as as too much light. Um, so. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. And, and finally, I, I, I started going down this road a little bit earlier ago, but that had to do with, um, you know, I've got my, my, this is my daily carry pistol here, and I do have a weapon mount of light on it right now, a TLR1HL. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I kind of, I talked a little bit about having more steps potentially between me and the use of my gun. And where I'm going with that is it's, you can imagine that if I'm suddenly startled by my 12-year-old daughter coming around the corner of a, of a room, in a hallway, whatever, um, 
if my gun is already kind of up in front of me and in that direction, and then she comes out and startles me, you see, I'm a lot closer to being able to bring that gun up on her and press the trigger than maybe searching primarily with my handheld light and having my sight, my sidearm, my pistol, whatever, more down at my side or something to that effect. And absolutely making sure and being certain that my, my uh, trigger finger is kept straight along the frame or the slide, that kind of thing. And so just give that some thought so that uh, we aren't setting ourselves up for failure and being startled or surprised and firing shots at something that, you know, suddenly comes into our view. Yeah. Those, uh, uh, shapes, sounds, and, uh, what else does Jacob say? Yeah. Shape, sounds. Uh, the uh, third one. It's uh, shapes, shadows, and sounds. The, oh, the triple S disease is he joke. He, he kind of jokingly re- refers to it, but that's, that's kind of become uh, the name within our, our company here. The triple S diseases is when someone shoots at shapes, sounds, or shadows, and we should do none of those. We don't shoot at sound only. We don't shoot at shadows or shapes in the darkness. We get positive identification of what it is so that we can then make the decision to use deadly force. And that's really key. This, there should be a, a clear decision. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about the legality of deadly force, Rob, and, and that implies that we got to be able to articulate in some fashion why we felt it necessary to use that level of force. And it's pretty hard to articulate that when we go, well, I thought there was this thing. I saw this shape. I saw this shadow mm-hmm. and I shot at it. Yep. And that that's where, you know, spouses, kids or friends, uh, you know, in buildings, how homes get shot every mm-hmm. year because people are doing the shapes, uh, sounds and shadows type of things. Yep. And I have many examples of the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yep. it's, it's unfortunate. I uh, kinda, very, very, very unfortunate. Yeah. I have a folder that anytime I kind of, I find some of those stories, I, I, I dump them in that folder. Um, and some, you know, just for reference. And sometimes I, you know, throw those at people to say, you know, that, that, I occasionally run into this on with on various online discussions where people will advocate for what I would call less than ideal or less than safe uh, uh, practices. And we're with uh, self-defense in, in uh, you know, be in the context and uh, we'll say, Hey, look, you know, that's how this situation happens. Mm-hmm. And it's almost always comes back to people not identifying first what it is they're shooting at. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, we had one in Cincinnati this, this week, as a matter of fact, where somebody, a 18 year old got shot. Um, I don't know all the circumstances behind it, but the other person was 21 and they were uh, not, uh, not treating the firearm with the respect it's due. That's, that's yeah. uh, without a doubt when something like that happens. Well, hey, you touched on this a little bit uh, before too, um, that you, on your carry gun, you've got the weapon mounted light and such. What does that do when it comes to holster selection? Because I know I've had to go out and get a special holster if I'm going to carry a weapon mounted light on specific guns. And, um, you know, how does, how does that affect your uh, selection and decision to carry, carry or not carry a weapon mounted light? Great question. Uh, yeah, because there are, there are a lot of options out there, but there, 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 there are definitely fewer holster options when we talk about something that supports a weapon mounted light. Um, so I have a couple of principles that I follow uh, as far as what I look for and what I uh, consider to be important in uh, both the, the light that I carry on the gun and and the holster goes along with it. Uh, there's a lot of different 
light options on the market and coming on the market all the time. Uh, we see a bunch of different brands and, you know, now getting, getting into it. And even from some of the more well-known brown brands, we see different light options. You know, we see a multitude of light options, even from companies such as like Streamlight. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that the two lights that have the, the greatest amount of support in terms of holsters is the uh, Streamlight TLR1 and the Surefire X300 uh, series lights. And so uh, I, I, I prefer to stick with one of those two lights. Uh, the Streamlight TLR1 HL is the latest and greatest, about a thousand lumens, has uh, like twenty-five to thirty thousand candela. It's got it's got great brightness, great throw. It's great performance for a light that costs just a little more than a hundred bucks. Um, then you got the Surefire X300U uh, or the, the X300 Ultra. That's what the U stands for. And uh, again, a thousand lumen light, very similar numbers and performance to the TLR1 uh, HL, um, but it's about double the price. And, <clears throat> and that's okay. I mean, it's a very high quality light, uh, arguably uh, a little more durable perhaps than the uh, Streamlight, but I've been uh, very happy and impressed uh, by the performance out of my Streamlight uh, TLR1 HL. Uh, but those two lights are have a great reputation, long track record of performance, and they have a lot of holster options that support them. When we go outside of that, we start running into greater uh, levels of incompatibility uh, in terms of holsters in our gun and the fit and the, the light and so forth. And and so, uh, I, you know, when people ask about uh, putting a weapon mount light on their gun and, and finding a holster, I just kind of let them know, hey, this is this is this is the way the market is. And if you don't pick one of these two that I just mentioned, you're going to have, you know, probably a little more difficult time finding exactly what you, what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Or you might have to craft your own Kydex, something like that. Perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some cases, yes. Uh, or get something custom made. And, and you now Streamlight has come out with uh, the TLR seven and TLR eight. And now they have the TLR seven a and TLR eight a which uh, really the, the A models, the only difference is the activation switches. This is an original, I'm holding up an original TLR7, and the, the A model is way easier to, to activate. It's got a much uh, better thought out switch design. Um, and, and so, and, and these ones are pretty good lights. Uh, they're not as quite a good performance as the TLR1, but, and they do have a, a decent holster selection out there but definitely not quite as uh, widely available in terms of the selection as like what supports the TLR one. Um, <clears throat> for me, the holster selection is pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, Filster floodlight is an example of a holster that is basically universal in terms of the guns that will fit it because the holster itself is designed to fit the light. Okay, so all of the bearing, the important bearing surfaces of the holster uh, are, are fit around the light. The retention is based around the light. <clears throat> and so as long as I can mount a TLR1 to the gun, it is most likely going to fit the floodlight holster from Filster. And that's what I carry on a daily basis now, and it works marvelously because I can actually easy, very easily switch this light over to my Glocks or to a different model of SIG, you know, versus this 320, which I'm carrying right now. Uh, again, if I could fit that light to the gun, chances are it fits this holster. 
And so that's awesome because I, this is one holster that I can use for a lot of different guns as long as I throw a light on it. I've actually, I'm starting to, uh, you know, as an instructor and, and you're, you're familiar with this, a lot of times we'll have like loaner holsters or loaner equipment and stuff for students. I know I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's always kind of a, well, I've got some Glock holsters, some Smith and Wesson M&P holsters, some SIG holsters, you know, I've got all these different ones. But this is becoming the whole. This is becoming my my loaner holster, if you will, because most likely it'll fit any gun, and all I got to do is provide. I got to loan out a holster and a TLR one light, and I got a couple of those. And so we take the student's gun, throw the TLR one on it, hand in the holster, and the other cool thing about the Filster floodlight is it's ambidextrous, so I can take That's all cool. the hardware on it and just take it off and install it on this side. And I can take care of my lefty students as well, all with just one holster. So I've, uh, I'm getting a couple of these floodlight holsters now to uh, uh, facilitate that, that kind of loner um, part of the equation with uh, teaching classes and stuff. Because it just simplifies things in, in a big way for me as an instructor. Yeah, our, uh, the listeners can't see that right now, but I will make sure I mm-hmm. include a link on the uh, show notes for people that might be interested in finding a, uh, a holster like that that would be a little bit more universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And there's a couple other companies that do some similar things, um, but uh, the, the one I've seen executed pretty much the best is the Filster Floodlight. Uh, but Wittemann is another company that makes a great holster that I think is somewhat uh, universal in nature. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've, re- I've been really happy with, with this one. Mm-hmm. Well, one last, one last, uh, topic that I want to talk to you about with the lights and all that, because we've talked, we've talked about, you know, the different types of lights. We've talked about how to carry them, their outputs, different things like that. But when it comes to, um, uh, tactics you know your hand holds different things like that you've got mm-hmm. things like the fbi hold which is you're going to take and hold it above your shoulder uh so that it's the the purpose behind it, as i understand it is if somebody's shooting at light it's not going to be you know shooting directly at your head it's, they're going to be shooting at your hand that is basically you know above your shoulder you've got neck index for it that just like it says you're putting it up against your neck and then wherever your head turns the flashlight turns accordingly uh, you've got the wrist lock method to where you go along and have a, a handheld one on your wrist and you lock them as you're holding the pistol and the light can move independently of wherever the po- pistol's pointing but it's very quick and if you see something to bring the pistol to bear on on that target and then the fourth kind that i'm aware of is the masada oop and that's combination where you put in the pistol where you're putting the light uh parallel to the pistol and that's how you're going along and uh you're got one and a half hand kind of grip on the on the pistol but that other half of the grip is uh, holding the uh, flashlight next to it i know um those those are pretty simple explaining if people are really interested in doing that they should be taking a class and know how to use a light because it does take a certain level of uh, skill to be able to do that versus just listening to a podcast to figure out but which ones out of those do you um like or recommend to students when you uh when you're talking to them about uh, lights yeah. So first of all, um, I, uh, I think because of this modern era that we've, we've come into with regards to uh, lights and light technology, things are so much better, so much brighter, more powerful than they used to be. I think some of the old thinking and older doctrine with regards to lights is 
probably not as uh, it's, 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 it, things have changed. Okay. So what I mean by that is, you know, think about 20, 30 years ago, think about the lights we were using. We were using incandescent bulbs. Uh, we were, you know, we were excited when a light had a hundred lumens. That was a lot, you know, uh, it, it, things, things are just very different. So our lights are brighter. They're more powerful. They, they're more focused. Um, and so realize that again, the, the light is a defensive tool in of an, in, a, in and of itself. As soon as I hit you, if I hit you square in the face, Rob, with, you know, anywhere from seven to 25 yards, even 50 yards with certain lights with, you know, a lot of great output, uh, you know, good throw with a focused beam that hits your face, uh, it, it is going to make it impossible for you to really see me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, some would think, well, I'll just shoot at the light, right? And I think that was more a thing back again in the day when lights were 80 to, a, you know, 60 to 100 lumens incandescent uh, because we could really still kind of see through those. We could see through those beams. They weren't blinding like they are now. And so what we've seen in force-on-force uh, uh, scenarios, putting it into practice in those kind of scenarios where we're obviously trying to uh, pressure test our techniques, our tactics, and our gear in as realistic uh, fighting situations as we can. Um, the 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 immediate natural reaction that somebody has when you hit them straight on in the face with seven hundred to a thousand lumens of white focused light. Uh, their initial reaction is to shrink away, to turn away, to close their eyes because it will be bright. It will be uh, disorienting to some degree and almost never is someone able to actually take that full on in the face and just go ah and shoot at it. All right. Uh, the, the tendency is we've is, and this has been seen and some trusted uh, instructors and trainers that I'm familiar with that does this way more than I do. The tendency is for the opposing force, if you will, the uh, the the person playing the threat is to is to if they are able to get shots off, it's not usually directed very effectively at at the person that's wielding that light, at least for a brief second or two. So the key is when we hit a threat with a light in in the face, uh, we have about a two second window or so where we are almost guaranteed. A, a huge advantage at that point to put good, accurate hits on that threat, on that target. Uh, because almost certainly for that brief window of time, they will not be able to get good, effective hits on us. All right. So, so some, again, I bring that up because, you know, people will talk about the FBI technique. Well, you know, if they shoot at the light, the light's way up here and I'm less likely to catch it in the chest. I think that was probably true for its time back when the FBI technique was uh, developed. Again, when we were using much less powerful lights. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my number one priority is get the light on where I need to get it, meaning get it on the surface or the target, the person, the individual, whatever in whatever way I need to get it there. Okay. So if that means I'm coming around a corner uh, and that means like, maybe I, maybe I like using a neck index, but for me to get a little bit more effective placement of that light where I want to see means, you know, taking my hand away and putting it out there a little bit. That's what I'm going to do. All right. Uh, The two techniques that I primarily use, if we're going to talk about techniques would be something akin to a neck index 
or something more like the Harry's te- technique. Um, but I'm not super f- fond of, of the Harry's technique necessarily. I actually almost feel better suited to use. Uh, so the argument here is right. Like we would use maybe a Harry's technique or something like that. Uh, or the Masayub or what is it? The Chapman technique, I think is, is similar in, or, or the Rogers uh, technique uh, uh, as invented by, if you will, Bill, Bill Rogers, um, all very similar in that we're putting hands together on the gun and the light is indexed in a way off of the gun or off our hand or off the wrist or whatever. Um, the idea there being that I've got greater support because now my hands are brought together. So I'm a little bit more stable. That is probably true to a degree, but um, in my personal practice, I have almost preferred shooting one-handed and using something like a neck index. I don't know why. It just seems like that has worked better for me. That doesn't mean it's going to be the case for everybody. But honestly, I'd much rather use a weapon mounted light, okay? Because then I've got a true two-handed grip and my support hand thumb is working that light and turning it on and off as I need it. And that just works. That's, that's, that's pretty much the reason why I'm carrying a weapon mounted light uh, for the most part these days. Uh, and primary con- light too. So you're using primary yeah. identify on the weapon mount yeah. for the uh, firing. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I always got the handheld, of course. Um, there's also, there's also some things that uh, have come up, you know, in the last few years, uh, products like the uh, Therm switchback. Uh, Therm is spelled T-H-Y-R-M. And the switchback is a device that uh, fits uh, many common lights where you basically mount the therm switch back to the base of the light and it is essentially a ring and a clip uh together okay it's it's all one piece and so it has an integrated clip that you can use to clip onto your pants or your pocket or whatever and then there's a ring that you place your finger through and and there's a rest for your thumb and the idea is that when you grab this, you index it in such a way you grab it with your index finger and you flip that light forward and your thumb applies pressure on this rest on the top of the ring. And when you apply that pressure, it presses against your middle finger knuckle. And in that way, uh, it's a handheld light that you can get essentially a two-handed grip and get pretty effective and, and pretty intuitive uh, light activation. It, it's it's almost as good as a weapon-mounted light. So there's other products too. Again, you know, we're in this modern age and, and so many things have been developed and more things are being developed. Lots of great options and ways for us to be able to use lights uh, with our guns. So uh, yeah, there's there's way more than, you know, even these older techniques like uh, we've been teaching for for, you know, a couple of decades now, many decades in some cases. So uh, find a technique that works for you, uh, practice it, maybe you have more than one technique even, because again, my priority is put the light where I need to put it in terms of seeing what I need to see, uh, do what I got to do. And, you know, in the case of if I've got a weapon mounted light and I have a handheld light, I might want to practice transitioning between those, right? Whether that means dropping that handheld light and transitioning immediately to the weapon mounted light, whether that means I've got a lanyard or a ring or something where I'm able to retain that handheld light, even though I transition over to weapon mounted light, whatever it is, we need to have a good method of using our light and practicing and practicing and practicing because it is something that takes practice. 
I've had the privilege of attending a number of low light training courses, and uh, it, it is something that has to be practiced just like anything else relating to shooting. Well, that's uh, really good advice. And there were a few techniques there I wasn't aware of, but um, I've only taken a few uh, low light classes and uh, I will have to search out some more too to uh, brush up on those other techniques. And again, uh, make sure I'm doing things properly, just like we talk about taking training to make sure that our shooting is uh, going well. We should do it in all facets of it. If we're using a light, if we're using um, other things along those lines, uh, make sure we're staying on top of our game that way too. But hey, Riley, we've yeah, been man. asking all our uh, guests this year, what kind of books mm. are you reading? Websites, mm. uh, you know, blogs, different things like that to improve yourself as a instructor. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked. Uh, well, since you, since you opened it up to books or blogs or whatever, you know, first of all, I'm always reading and always following Greg Alfred's uh, blog at activeresponsetraining.net. Uh, if you if you're not if you're not already following and reading his stuff, uh, I highly recommend it. And he has an an incredible library of articles and information on his site going back years. Uh, you've absolutely got to be following and reading his stuff. So I'm always on there, always checking that out on a near daily basis as he releases things. Um, books. I uh, recently finished uh, reading Call Sign Chaos uh, by uh, retired General Jim Mattis. Uh, it's kind of a big uh, biography of sorts of his and is a really interesting and a really great book. Uh, really uh, uh, impressed upon me the type of person and, and a type of career that, that uh, General Mattis had. Of course, many people uh, know, uh, uh, you know, for him from his time uh, serving as, as a, a Secretary of Defense uh, for a time under the Trump administration. Um, he just, he, he's lived a really interesting life and uh, really enjoyed that book. Lots of great leadership lessons to be found throughout Call Sign Chaos. So really enjoyed that book. Um, also, uh, looking forward to, uh, reading a book here, uh, called Alone at Dawn, uh, by, uh, Dan Schilling. And, uh, th this is, uh, this is the book about, uh, Medal of Honor, uh, uh, award, awarded, um, John Chapman, who was, uh, Air Force, um, uh, combat controller, I believe, or was he a PJ? Anyway, um, John Chapman was as part, he was part of an operation, uh, in the beginning, in the early days of the Af Afghanistan war. And, uh, he was inserted with a team of Navy SEALs, um, on what has become now known as Roberts Ridge, uh, named after the first casualty of this battle, the battle of, I think it's, Tucker Gar, Gar or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce all the Af Afghanistan, you know, names and places, but uh, uh, they inserted on this mountaintop and came under fire. Uh, uh, Ro uh, Roberts was a guy that fell out of the helicopter as it uh, took off. Uh, they went back to try to get him. And in the process, the whole, the whole thing kind of fell apart and many guys, you know, were wounded and killed, uh, including John Chapman. But he single-handedly, he actually got uh, left there uh, to uh, uh, when they went to re to rescue. Um, I think it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember what his rank was or his full name. Uh, the Roberts fella. He uh, 
when they went back to rescue him, um, they ended up, like I said, coming under heavy fire. And in the process, John Chapman was wounded and they thought he was dead. They got out of there. They were going to go back and get his body, but it turns out he actually wasn't dead and he continued fighting. And when another, when the other rescue, you know, quick reaction uh, force teams came to essentially get him and Robert's bodies, uh, he was still fighting right up until those final final moments and actually probably saved uh, dozens of lives as those other helicopters came back to the mountaintop. Just a, an amazing story about an amazing man. And uh, that's my next on the uh, to read list. So there you go. Okay. Well, those are yeah, some very interesting books there. And I, I'll second Greg Elifitz. He's, uh, he's a wealth of information and he's put a lot of it out there. Even, um, you know, it's not just a couple articles. He's got thousands of articles out there that are very, uh, very well written, very well researched and, uh, you know, very thought provoking. Um, well, Hey Riley, yeah. where, can, where can people find more out about you and what you're doing competitions that you're in different things like that? If people are interested. Absolutely. appreciate that. Uh, of course, uh, you guys can always find us on our website, uh, concealedcarry.com, uh, which of course uh, uh, brings to you uh, in part the uh, Firearm Trainers podcast. We're, we're yes, honored and privileged to have uh, Rob Beckman as as part of the, the uh, podcast team here and the podcast network. Uh, so concealedcarry.com. Uh, you, you can, you know, find obviously our concealed carry, uh, most of our social media pages, uh, use the, uh, tag concealed carry Inc. That's uh, true on Facebook and Instagram, at least, uh, me personally, you can look up, uh, look me up on Facebook, uh, Riley Bowman also on Instagram, Riley concealed carry and, and Rob, I know we've been going a while, but do you mind if I plug our, uh, that thing we were talking about before the show Go right ahead. I was going to make sure we, co- we covered that. <laughs> good. Good. Got the big announcement for the, uh, for the audience out there. Yeah. So, uh, as of the recording of, of this show with you, uh, this hasn't officially been pushed out there to the public, but by the time this is published, it, it, it will be uh, live. Uh, but, uh, we are happy to announce our first annual guardian conference. This is a training conference uh, that is in a block style format. So for three days, September 17th, 18th, and 19th of 2021, uh, over those three days, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, we will have basically a bunch of different training blocks with a bunch of A-list instructors uh, there uh, supporting the event and, and teaching and training. And so attendees will have the ability and the option to uh, put together a schedule of all these different training block opportunities in over three days, come away with tons of amazing, valuable training. Uh, as of, th- by the time this episode is released, uh, more than likely uh, there'll be more added to this list. But as of right now, which is just before Christmas uh, 2020, uh, we've got Larry Vickers is on board. He, he's, he's confirmed for the event. We got Matt Little, Chuck Haggard, Spencer Keepers, uh, Steve Moses, Haney Mahmood, uh, Andrew Branca, uh, Brian McLaughlin, who's who's a member of our team. He's going to be doing some medical courses. He's a he's a he's a former uh, Navy corpsman uh, that was uh, he you know he deployed with with a Marine unit to Afghanistan. 
has a lot of real real life uh, medical experience. Samuel Millbrook will be there teaching. Brian Eastridge as well. Uh, myself, of course, I didn't mention that. I'll be teaching some classes. And again, we'll probably have a couple other uh, really amazing instructors added to this list here shortly. And so uh, we're super excited to put on this first annual Guardian Conference. Uh, tickets will be limited. Uh, and our goal is to make it affordable considering the uh, we want it to be a high impact, high value, but affordable training conference. Uh, and the location, didn't mention that, is the Oklahoma City Gun Club, just a short distance to the north and east of Oklahoma City. Pretty easy to get, you know, fly in and 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 travel there. A nice centrally located part of the country. We went. Jacob and I went and toured the range and found it to be a, a fantastic facility, has everything that we need, plenty of space, lots of uh, uh, ranges or berms uh, that'll be used over the course of the weekend. And, and again, we'll have a bunch of different uh, firearm training blocks, but we'll have uh, also some seminars and things as well on a variety of topics. So uh, if you guys want to learn more and, and get signed up, uh, you can go to guardianconference.com. And I appreciate you letting me uh, plug it on the uh, Firearm Trainers podcast, Rob. Well, that's great. I'm really looking forward to it because uh, over half those people you mentioned, I've already had on the podcast. So, you know, our audience is already familiar with the high quality information. Larry Vicker, Steve Moses, Spencer Keeper, those guys uh, brought to the podcast. And I'm sure you know, getting a block of uh, their time and getting some, uh, you know, training, live training with them would uh, definitely be a, a valuable. So. Yeah, it's a, think of it as a one-stop shop buffet style uh, weekend of training. Uh, a lot of great opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about it. And at the same time, uh, can't wait to, uh, be there and see how well it goes off because that just sounds like a really, you know, neat, uh, neat lineup of instructors. And I can already say, you know, I mean, you know, want to hear Andrew Brock. I want to hear these guys, you know, talk, I want to talk to them too, about, about some things that probably they bring up and, you know, have, have that time to have some good conversations with them. Yep. That's great. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, thanks again, Riley, for your time. And that's a wrap for our, our episode. And we would like to remind our listeners, visit Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts at, and leave us a review. If you have any input, questions, feedback, email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. And do everybody a favor. Tell our instructors about this because uh, we're doing this to improve instructors. And if they don't hear us, they can't improve by the great information we're putting out there. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment. Most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there, everybody. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.